0: You know, I I have real trouble writing sermons about the most familiar stories, the very, very familiar stories. I I, I sometimes find difficulty in putting a a new spin on the stories that we've heard so many times before, a different take on the ones that that we've heard since we were children our our whole lives. Christmas and Pentecost are particularly difficult for me that way, Uh, But that's what we do in the church is we tell the story, often the same stories, over and over again. We tell those stories over and over again. You know, there's a reason we tell the good ones over and over. It's because it's what Jesus told us to do. He said, go out and tell others what it is your Lord has done for you. And we do that here. And I hope, for Pete's sake, we do it outside these walls uh, even more. Now, the Easter story... That's, a, that's different. It's far easier to preach on the Easter story because there's not just one Easter story. There are thousands of Easter stories. Uh, the empty tomb is just the beginning of Easter. There's the story of Mary Magdalene. Uh, the Orthodox churches, by the way, have all kinds of really cool stories about Mary Magdalene that I don't know if they really happen, but they're great stories. They're not in the Bible. Uh, it's part of their oral tradition. There is the story of, of Peter, which uh, every year the story of Peter inspires me all over again. There's the story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. The angels, the disciples, the man at the tomb, the guards, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and of course, bless his heart, there's good old doubting Thomas. Thomas. How would you like to be stuck with that nickname through the end of time? Poor Thomas. I, I rant about Thomas every single year uh, when we get to the Sunday called Doubting Thomas because Thomas is not nearly the worst example we have of someone who was not quite there yet. He's, I would put him about middle of the list. There are all kinds of people who did it worse than Thomas did. Uh, you know, in, in Matthew and Luke... It's only the women who have that unshakable faith after the resurrection. The women immediately believe that Jesus is risen. And all of the disciples think their story is too fantastic to be be believed. They all doubt, not just Thomas. In the Gospel of Mark, it's even worse. Jesus, um, uh, in the Gospel of Mark, the women doubt And the men doubt too. The disciples, everybody doubts in Mark. And if you go back to Matthew, Jesus really lets the disciples have it in that upper room for their lack of faith. Uh, The Bible says that Jesus upbraids them. But then you get to John and he only picks on Thomas. That's it, just Thomas. Thomas doubts and Thomas is the one that gets fussed at. But Thomas simply had not quite yet figured out what it was that Jesus was up to. You know, we know how the story ends. Thomas didn't know that yet. So at the tomb on Easter morning, Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene pleads with the man that she thought was the gardener. And she says, please, sir, they've stolen my Lord away. Just tell me where the body has been taken and I'll wrap the body and I'll weep over him. She didn't say, not at first, that the Lord is risen. She had not realized yet that it was Easter. She also couldn't see what it was that Jesus was up to. Not Not yet. You know, I don't think that today is about Thomas. I I think that it's about believing before you get to the end of the story. Believing before you know what it is that's going to happen. And all of us have trouble doing that. Thomas did. Mary Magdalene did. As a matter of fact, I think that Peter's story illustrates this better than Thomas's does. Better than anyone's. You remember Peter at at supper, had sworn, he had vowed that he would protect Jesus with his life. He says, they will take you over my dead body. It will never happen. And then the Romans come, and they take Jesus away, and it looks like Peter's going to make good on his promise. He unsheathes his sword. He cuts the guard's ear off. You remember that part. But then Jesus rebukes him. And he, you know... He is not bothering me. You're the only one that's bothered by that. He unsheaths his sword and Jesus rebukes him. Jesus says, put your sword away, Peter. And he, and he does. Peter, uh, Jesus is then taken away. A crowd follows. And then Peter kind of jumps into that crowd to follow along. But as the night unfolds things start to get scary. It looks like people are going to die. People are going to lose their lives. And Peter's worst nightmare is coming to pass. And instead of jumping into the fray with guns ablazing to confront the temple guards and the Roman legions and the personal guards of the high priests, Peter decides instead to stand back and to blend into the crowd. Jesus had seen him there. He knew he was there. Jesus had seen him hanging back, even though he said, I will be with you the whole time. Jesus' eyes had met Peter's eyes as he hung on that cross. When he needed help making sure that his mother was cared for, Jesus calls on John. He doesn't call on Peter. And then he died. And Peter was left alone with his sin and with his complete failure. Now, everyone in this room knows the end of the story. Early on the third day, the stone was rolled away. Christ came forth from the tomb, and there were angels and, and quaking guards and faithful women and confused disciples. We know that, that Peter eventually goes back to his fishing boat. right? He goes back to his, his old life because this clearly had not worked out. Peter went back hoping that maybe he could turn back the, the clock. It was all over. Of course, you know that Jesus met him on the shore on one of those fishing trips, and he forgives Peter, and he gives him charge over his very own sheep. But that was days later. That was days after Easter morning. So let's put ourselves not in Thomas's shoes this year. Let's put ourselves in Peter's shoes if you want to talk about Doubt. On Easter morning he was still hiding in the shadows for fear and for shame a few women the most devout followers of Jesus came to the eleven and to all the disciples to tell him what they had, to tell them what they had seen and heard and Luke tells us that the men thought it was ridiculous all but Peter Peter jumps up and he runs he runs straight to the tomb he sees the linen that had wrapped the body and he was stunned And he goes home. Luke says he goes home amazed. But that's all Luke says. Just amazed. Nothing else. Well Jesus appears later to the disciples in that upper room. Peter included. And as far as we know. What did Jesus say to Peter in that upper room directly? Not one single word that we know of. Can you imagine How Peter must have felt. What what had he done? How could he have messed this up so badly that Jesus could not even speak to him? But he thought that because he couldn't yet see what it was the Lord was doing. On Good Friday, Peter is known for exhibiting the ultimate weakness. His denial of Christ is one of the most infamous failures the church has ever seen. And eventually, Jesus gives him the charge over his very own sheep, pronounces that well known threefold forgiveness, and all was well. But still, those days of waiting, those in between days, it was days before Peter felt the real Easter joy because he couldn't yet see what it was that Jesus was doing. So. What about us this Easter season? You know, the reason we all show up during Easter, especially at baptisms, is because it feels so good to be here. The, the unbridled joy, the bells, the trumpets, the full church, the wriggling babies. We come here to be together to celebrate the fact that once again, the sadness, the, the darkness... The grief of Good Friday has broken into the Alleluia of Easter. And it always, always happens that way. Easter always comes from Good Friday. And that's not just a liturgical statement. That happens in our lives as well. Easter always comes from Good Friday. There is not one thing that can keep it from happening. There is not one thing too big for God Almighty. There is no darkness that can outshine the light. There is no sin that is bigger than Christ's redemption for us. That's why this season is what it is. That's what we come to celebrate. Thomas didn't know that. Mary Magdalene didn't know it. Peter didn't know it. Not at first. When Peter wept on Good Friday, it's because he did not know what was coming. He couldn't see yet what it was the Lord was up to. He didn't know that Easter and redemption and forgiveness and health and wholeness was coming. But we know that Easter will always come. Peter thought it was all over for him. And that's the best reason I know of to gather here during this season to remind ourselves that when we experience Good Friday in our lives, Christ is still working behind the scenes to bring a new Easter for us, even when we don't know anything about it. And it will happen every single time. We are sealed and marked as Christ's own forever. There is not one crown of thorns that can keep Easter from coming. Not a scar, not a nail, not a sin, not a failing that can keep Christ from being the Lord of your life. Not even when Peter said, Do not associate me with that Jesus, I want nothing to do with him. Not even then did Jesus cast him away, and he will never cast you away either. Is there anything at all that is more final than the tomb? And if not even death can stop the Lord of life, then there is nothing in your past or in your present or in your future that can do that either. Open up your heart to Christ Jesus, and he will come in every single time. He will lead you out of Good Friday into the joy of Easter every single time. The tomb is empty. He is not there. We have seen it with our own eyes, and we have seen it in our own lives, and we will tell the story until he comes for us again. Hallelujah! Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah.